welcome to season two. I can't believe it's season two of the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are thrilled that you are here with us for this new season. Uh, we are going to be talking about Wednesday, the new series on Netflix. Uh, and as always, we need to let you know, yes, this will be full of spoilers. So just be prepared for that. Uh, but more importantly, I want to welcome back my good buddy, Caleb, for season two of the show. How are you doing, Caleb? And how are you feeling about the new season? I'm doing great. I can't believe we're already on season two. We've had like 50 episodes of this, Mark. I can't believe it. And <laughs> I cannot wait to dig into more pop culture stuff this season. Me too, man. I am so excited about it. But, you know, as is the theme of the show, the Moonshine Jesus Show, part of the reason the Moonshine is there, we do like to do a themed drink as we begin. So I am very curious what direction you decided to go to with uh, the, the Wednesday show and your cocktail. What you end up with here? Yeah, so I Googled Wednesday cocktails and there weren't a ton to choose from, which kind of right? surprised me because this is a phenomenon. You know, it has it is, become, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone's watching Wednesday. It's been out for like a month or more, more than a month. And it's still in the top 10 on Netflix. It's, it's it, it is now, in terms of one week, it has the most hours watched of any English show ever, beating Stranger Things first week. That's amazing. It's been viewed over a billion times, Gosh. Mark. Over a billion, billion uh, over a billion hours. That's it. Uh, over a billion hours of viewership. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. But I didn't so find a lot of cocktails. Room? So right. here's what here's what I thought. I thought it's got to be it's got to be something dark because Wednesday is very dark. That's like absolutely, absolutely. And so yeah. I found this drink, the Mind Eraser, and I thought okay. this sounds like something that Wednesday mm -hmm. would be into. A mind eraser. So it is equal parts Kahlua, Kahlua vodka, and soda water. So Lovely. that's what I'm drinking Lovely. today, Mark. The dark mind eraser. How about it, you? What are you drinking? Well, I actually did find a drink called the Wednesday Adams, but mm -hmm. it's a non-alcoholic drink. But since we and this is dry dry January for a lot of folks, but Wednesday's mm -hmm. so countercultural that I decided I'm going to take this non-alcoholic drink and make it alcoholic. Uh, so I, I, good. I, I yeah. took, I, yeah, exactly. So I took the key ingredient uh, that was the non-alcoholic part and, and substituted um, Campari for it because it's a similar taste. So this is muddled blackberries, Campari, triple sec, simple syrup, a little bit of salt and a, a pretty heavy dash of dashes of bitters in it. And it comes out with this lovely kind of blood red, and I've Ooh, I've put mm -hmm. a uh, I put a black sugar trim on it. So, uh, cheers to you, sir! I am uh, ready cheers, to start Mark. season two in fine fashion. Mm -hmm. mm, that's actually really mm. pretty good. All right, yep. uh, let's get on with the show. We'll catch everybody on the other side of the drop. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show, where today we're talking about 
Wednesday, the new Netflix show. So we are trying a little bit of a new format on the Moonshine Jesus show here. We mm -hmm. often geek out for uh, a little while, and then we move into the Theopolitico segment. We're going to try to get to the Theopolitico stuff a little bit uh, sooner, and we're going to tie that in uh, a little bit more throughout. So we do still like to really geek out about shows, though, because Mark and I are geeks, and we're guessing that a lot Absolutely. of you who listen to this are geeks as well. So we got it. We got to have some geek time. And, Absolutely. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday is a Netflix show, and it is focusing on Wednesday Adams of the Adams family. Wednesday Adams is expelled from her school after dumping live piranhas into the school's pool <laughs> in retaliation for the boys' water polo team bullying her brother, Pugsley. Consequently, her parents, Gomez and Morticia Adams, enroll her in high school at their alma mater, Nevermore Academy, a private school for monstrous outcasts in the town of Jericho, Vermont. So we get to spend a lot of time with Wednesday Adams and not quite as much time with the rest of the Adams family as we have spent in previous mm -hmm. incarnations of these characters. Here's my question, Mark. I'm wondering, uh, the Adams family was created by Charles Adams for the New Yorker in 1938, right. and there were 150 unrelated single panel cartoons in the New Yorker. Okay. My question, I'm curious, are, are you a fan? Did you ever read any of the cartoons or watch the TV show or watch the movies? Are you a fan of this? Uh, this I movie? am. I, I never read the cartoons, but I am a massive fan of the original series. I am certain that I watched every episode and most likely probably a couple of times watched all the episodes. So I am very invested in the story of the Adams family in general. How about you? Okay, so I didn't ever watch the TV series, and I mm -hmm. didn't ever read any of the cartoons other than maybe an occasional one that has come up on social media or been mm -hmm. reprinted over the years, but I am a child of the 90s, and so yes. I did grow up with the Addams Family and the Addams Family Values uh, movies. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so Christina Ricci, you know, was Wednesday Adams to me growing up. Yeah. <laughs> and I really enjoyed watching those movies. Those were a part of my childhood. And I remember going over to friends' house, uh, friends' houses, and we we would often watch those. So and so I'm I'm not maybe as invested as you are in, <laughs> in how the Adams family came out, but I loved this series and I was surprised mm. how much I loved it simply because. Because yeah. my only real exposure to the Adams family had been those early '90s movies. So, how do you yeah. think they did as a whole with this series, and how do you think it compared to some of the other incarnations of the Adams family? I, I honestly, it is my favorite. It's easily my mm. favorite. Uh, I, it's it's unusual in that they're focusing on one member mostly. We do get mm -hmm. to see the other mm -hmm. members briefly, uh, right. except except for except for uh, thing was missing, and uh, not thing, but. Uh, uh, Cousin it. it, and I'm sure, yeah. I'm hoping we get him next season. We do know that we're going to get another season. They have added that tag to the final episode now that there is a second season coming. So I'm excited about that. But I, I, I wasn't sure how I would feel about it being focused on one person. Mm -hmm. But frankly, um, Gina Ortega, th the way she plays Wednesday is just brilliant. I honestly think... Out of all genres, out of everything I've seen in the past year, this is one of the finest 
embodiments of a character in a role that I have I've seen in a very long time. It I, I, I hesitate to use the word perfect, but it's almost perfect casting and then perfect role uh, engagement by her. I mean, some things as simple as I don't I don't know which if it was the second or the third episode where all of a sudden I was like, she never blinks. Like as an actress, how do you like she was so into the role and so wanted it to be perfectly odd and that something as subtle as she doesn't ever blink when she's on the screen is crazy, man. So, so I, she talked to she talked oh, yeah. about that, the not oh, blinking. So she did a take where she didn't blink, and Tim Burton's directing this, right? And he was so yeah. impressed by it, he said, don't blink anymore. No more blinking. <laughs> That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's such a Tim Burton thing to say, yeah. and such a Jenna Ortega thing that she was able to do it. Because I agree with you. The reason this was phenomenal, I think, was Jenna Ortega. It, oh, it, it was casting and she's she's phenomenal i you almost can't take your eyes off her she inhabits the role so much Uh, it's the nuances and she's so dedicated i mean she learns how to play the cello for this role learns how to fence but two other languages german and, and latin i think she learned and man the dancing she choreographed this the whole thing four that becomes this viral sensation on TikTok. <laughs> exactly on TikTok, right? yeah. which is incredible. That's, Have you tried? It was it? amazing. You tried dance? Uh, um, you know, I'm not a lot of a dancer, so <laughs> and and that seemed like a particularly youthful dance, and uh, I'm not particularly youthful anymore, so I avoided I avoided that. But I did enjoy your TikTok. It was amazing, man. It was just fantastic. Thank you. I thought <laughs> I thought you nailed it. I thought you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so so she so Jenna Ortega was uh, talking about this and she said uh, you know that it was it was almost down to crunch time and the the week she was supposed to do the dance she was having to fence she was having to play the cello she was having to do all this stuff and Tim Burton right. comes to her trailer two days before she's supposed to do this and says hey I know you've got this I, I'm not worried about it and she said I hadn't pra- I hadn't done anything <laughs> no. and and so she spends all this time on YouTube watching these 80s goth club videos yep. and comes up with this thing that is phenomenal and uh I, I think maybe the mark of a great actor is she says you know i think it's obvious that i wasn't a choreographer like no uh, it, the, it was the world inc- is obsessed with your dance you're it you're was amazing. so engaging you could not stop mm-hmm. watching it was just so, and it was so perfectly in character like it yeah. was uh dancing tends to be such a passionate kind of, yeah. of expression of self and she found this weird space that was almost uh i'm, I'm gonna go there it was creepy it was kooky yeah it was mm-hmm. mysterious it was spooky it was all together it was all together, yeah. All together <laughs> yeah it was all together <laughs> ooky uh like it was this perfect little space that she right exactly uh she and it was mesmerizing man just i i loved it and the fact that she just thinks that well obviously i'm not a choreographer it was perfect it was i i i I loved it but that's so much about every she seriously obviously took this character so intense intense like it was clear that she wanted this to be perfect and even just the way she delivered lines i mean let's give some credit to the writers too Uh, um while while the storyline is not particularly in like 
new or like, there's a little bit of a couple of twists that are interesting, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's a coming of age. It's a little bit of a horror and, and it's a little bit of a teen romance a bit. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing really new or interesting about any of that, but the lines that they wrote for her were amazing and her sense of how to deliver them mm-hmm. were just so on the nose every time. I don't think she ever missed a line. There wasn't a line where I went, ah, oh, she kind of underdid that. Like every time it was just like, bam, she nailed that. She did. She inhabited the character. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I think what she you're really talking about, hinting at, Mark, is one of the criticisms of this uh, this series right. that audiences love this you know it's been streamed over a a billion hours audiences have become obsessed with wednesday adams but Mm -hmm. it's only got a 71 percent fresh rating or something like that on (laughs) rotten tomatoes and the critics have kind of said "Mm, the the script isn't phenomenal uh it's really jenna ortega that makes this Mm-hmm. Uh, without Jenna Ortega, one one reviewer said it becomes just another CW teen drama. Do you think they're <laughs> they're right about that, or you think they're underselling it? Uh, I, I think they're fifty percent right. I mean, it is sort of a CW feel to the whole thing, but it's got a it's got a playful dark side, like the the perfect kind of a a dark comic, and and they put that on the screen in a better way than it's ever been done with any of the iterations of the Adams family. Uh, and so I think they're right in terms of the storyline is not particularly creative. It is a lot of the themes. You've got some Archie in there. You've got some Sabrina in there. Like there's bits of it that feel, I mean, there was a whole time where I was watching it where I was like, so this is basically Hogwarts for monsters, right? I mean, it did sort of, there was kind of that. But here's the thing. Here's where it does change. Yes, I think Jenna made a lot of difference. I also think that the, the lines that, the, that they wrote were great. I think this is the comeback of Tim Burton. He has had a lot of kind of failures recently that just didn't play mm. out right. And this mm. is so him. This feels like Nightmare Before Christmas. It's just so perfectly him. Yeah, Mark. Uh, Mark, we lost. We lost you here. I think, and I'm. I'm. Yep. I'm getting comment from comments that uh, that they've lost you too. So, uh, while while Mark uh, while Mark gets uh, gets his uh, gets his microphone set up, uh, I'll just I'll just agree that that yeah. There you go, Mark. I had to switch off. I've been having some weird problems with my mic. I probably need to retrace the line and change it out. Actually, all I was saying is that I really do think that this is better than CW in that we deal with some real subjects besides the great writing, which is better than a lot we find on CW. We deal with racism. We deal with homophobia. We deal with xenophobia. We even have little moments of almost throwaways with uh, Enid and her mom. Enid is, is part of a, a wolf family, but she's not quite wolfed out yet. And her mom's talking about sending her to a conversion camp. Talk about conversion therapy. And we see the just absolutely disgust. So I, I, I love that they're dealing and talking about some really serious subjects in a deeper way than CW. I think that's what elevates over it. I mean, what what do you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think you're. I think you're right. I think the writing is a lot stronger than it is on other CW shows. Although, honestly, I'm kind of a fan of CW shows. But, I am uh, too. They're good for what they. 
they're good for what they are, and and I appreciate the 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 the, the negative commentary about them. Yeah, they're they're not supposed yeah. to be any kind of highbrow anything. They're pure entertainment, and we all need that. But I do think Wednesday elevates above that for the reasons I just talked. I think I think so too, and I think they also get what the Adams family is about, and mm-hmm. so I think a lot of people misunderstand the Adams family. A lot of people think the Adams family is really kind of miserable. It's filled right. with miserable people, but I don't think that's really an accurate take. It's not that they're miserable; it's that they rejoice in the abnormal. Mm-hmm. They they rejoice when things right. are different, and yeah. I think they get that about the the family, and they get that about Wednesday. Maybe yeah. Wednesday is a literal a little bit miserable, but also yeah. she kind of rejoices in something that's different. It's it's her differentness. Yeah, I think that, I think that's fair, and it's and it's clear that that's actually the main uh, point of this whole show. I mean, they literally call. Of the monsters and the folks that are joining Nevermore, which is, is the school that they go to, the outsiders. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear. There's this real setup of this fear of outsiders and how the fear of outsiders marginalizes them and causes people to act and react to them in ways that they shouldn't be and mistreating them. And we've got the uh, the, the long-term theme of of the, the history of the town of Jericho, interesting mm-hmm. town name, mm-hmm. right? And um, we're... One of the original leaders of the town uh, back in Pilgrim days tried to destroy all the outsiders, which we think think about, you know, uh, genocide and all the different pieces there. So I, I, I think that they, this is such a wonderful show in terms of setting up uh, important themes um, and and using the fact that the Adams family are outsiders. Mm-hmm. They are weird. They are different. They are not part of the normal society. And instead of just celebrating it, using it as a, a, a catalyst for the storyline to investigate those kinds of issues. Mark, that sounds like a great place, I think, for us to uh, kind of transition into some of the more uh, theological and political elements because uh, we're starting to talk about those. And I think this show is really loaded with these. So let's take a quick break and let's come Mm. back and let's talk about them a little more Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. Uh, you're joining us for our second segment where we dive into both geekiness and theological and political uh, perspectives of the show that we're talking about. Today we're talking about Wednesday, and, and we just finished talking about Outsider and how that's kind of a big setup here. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, one of the things that makes me think about is they, they kind of throw out that the year before Wednesday gets to Nevermore, there was a, a fight with some of the townies from Jericho mm-hmm. where they beat up one of one of the students. We see some of the folks from Jericho beating up on Wednesday. Well, actually trying mm-hmm. to beat up on Wednesday. Uh, but one of the things that called to mind for me was uh, hate crimes in general, because those were definitely 100% hate crimes. And we've been seeing an increase in hate crimes in the U.S. over the last several years. And, I, and I'm wondering, 
what do you think the cause of the increase is? Uh, and what should we or can we do about it? And, and are there any clues in the show that point us towards is are they trying to answer that question or are they just trying to point out the issues? Yeah, so I think we've seen a rise in hate crimes for a number of reasons. I think the most obvious reason is that we had a person in office for four years who really was committing hate crimes on, on a daily basis, orally and through Twitter. And, uh, you know, he really empowered people to to feel like it was yeah. okay to talk about to talk about race, to, to be homophobic and, and all and all of that. And so um, mm -hmm. I, I think one of the reasons we've seen a rise in hate crime is uh, simply because we've had we've had a president, but also other national leaders who have really embraced this kind of ideology in a way that has allowed people to bring their racism out from under the rug. I don't think we ever got rid of racism, yeah. but I, I think it was swept under no. the, the rug uh, pretty, pretty neatly. Sure. Or we didn't Absolutely. want to talk about it. That We knew that there were certain things that we weren't going to talk about uh, well, in certain fashion. That's true. That's true for the folks that weren't deemed as outsiders. Outsiders always experienced it. Uh, what we've that's, seen is an increase of, of those who aren't outsiders feeling like they can be more uh, obvious about it, even that's, though they, they're not necessarily practicing it more. They're just doing it more publicly. That's a great point. And, I, and, and certainly I, I, I'm especially talking about straight cisgender white people who, um, who are Absolutely. afraid of uh, losing their positions of power and are mm -hmm. uh, increasingly more okay with, um, with uh, kind of being hateful to other people. So I think that's one of the reasons that we've seen it uh, kind of uh, proliferate and become more public. Uh, I think certainly, yeah. I think certainly Wednesday is set up in this way, or else Nevermore Academy wouldn't be set up in this place where it's like this: the, these outcasts and these these normies, uh, as they say, you right. know, uh, kind of in you mean muggles, muggles, yeah, the muggles, the muggles. <laughs> versus the monster uh, monster Hogwarts. It was impossible for me not to make a connection between the two, <laughs> like I like Hogwarts and muggles. You know, they ought to use that as their ha as their tagline. You no monster Hogwarts. I I kind of like that. <laughs> kind of works, right? It, it kind of works. So you know, I I think the point is that ultimately, at the end of the day, they need each other and they have to cooperate in order to to solve the greater threat. Um, uh, but uh, and I think that's the message to us, right? That we all have to kind of be in community together to kind of. Uh, to kind of right. fight the the isms and phobias in our lives, but uh, I don't think we're there yet. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I do think that what we've seen is an increase uh, the the politicizing of otherism is the big problem. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's easier. What people figured out was that it's much it takes a lot less energy to get elected and to do well in campaigns just to to hype up and turn up the dial on otherism they're not like us so you should fear them they're not like us so you should fear them and that's really fear is at the root of all of this is that if you can convince people that if they're if they're not who you are then they're out to get you and it's going to be a horrible thing and you and we've seen an increase in that over and over again we even a little bit see that frankly in wednesday like when she when we start the season she really does not like people no, like she yeah. doesn't, um, but uh, she she loathes them essentially. 
but we it ends up with her having a, a greater tolerance uh, basically for the human condition because what she kind of hates is the human condition. Um, and we see that happening through her relating with people and interacting with people and dealing with them one on one. And and I feel like our society has become so divided that we don't even interact with each other anymore. Mm-hmm. We even set up like parlor. We set up our own uh, uh, um, social media site so that we can have a, a you know a sound a, a, a room where we just hear each other talk mm-hmm. and nothing more than. Um, and, and the show for me is in subtle ways, I think, even through the main character who we're supposed to empathize with and sympathize with and kind of promote, we see there is a story arch of hers where she learns through interacting with people and being in relationship with folks that she doesn't see as like her, where she becomes more empathetic. And I, I think that those might be my two key words, fear and empathy. We need to figure out how to help each other lean more into empathy. And and recognize that the fear is un, unreasonable and not rational. Mm. I mean, mm. I don't. I mean, that's kind of where I go with it. What do you think? Yeah. So I, I I think we also get this this real embrace of counterculturalism, and so I think that's not surprising right. given who the Adams family is and right. who Tim Burton is. That countercultural is, yeah. is kind of what. Both, uh, both the characters and the director are all about, and so right. I think oh, yeah. I think uh, counterculturalism is is one of the key tenets of the show is that that we maybe ought to be countercultural. And so as I was yeah. watching it, I wondered if that was also a message for like like Christian should should Christian should the church be more countercultural or or not i mean is there any difference between christianity and the the culture that we live in or like does christianity and american mean the same thing at this point for people in the united states uh do you think there's a, a big enough separation mark between christianity and american culture that's something we talk a lot about in the church <laughs> I, I feel I feel like you're poking a stick at me, going do something, do something, because this is this is a this is a big sticking I, point. With it, me. It's something I know you're going to have an opinion about, Mark. Right, <laughs> That's absolutely. why I want that, and I want to know what this. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I you're already hinting at the, the, where you are as well, but yeah, of course. I mean, the teachings of Jesus were all counterculture. Mm-hmm. They they were all over and against the heavy-handed rule of an empire. And they were all about even using religion to control people and him trying to rewrite what that looks like and, and how come from place of love. All of that was countercultural. And the church was supposed to grow up in that. But as we've gained more centrality in the in not just the world and in our nation, but just in the minds of so many people, we've become a powerful group. And instead of uh, aligning ourselves with the marginalized, we want to hold on to that power. And so we're not countercultural anymore. If anything, we support the culture, uh, even the way we go about doing church and, the, and where we, there's so many issues. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to start breaking down each one of them. Yeah. But yeah, we clearly are supposed to be a countercultural people. If you go back to the person who, uh, who initiated the movement and look at his teachings, they were always countercultural. They always sided with the outsiders and they always called into judgment anyone who was powerful, who was using their power to hurt people. 
And nowadays, the church is much as as much like they're very as likely to line up with those people as they are to call them out. Maybe more so. I mean, is that overstating? No, it's not overstating at all. I I think we've got kind of two problems. I think one we've got the branch of Christianity that that really wants to be in line with American culture. And it's really kind of yeah. American, not patriotism, but American nationalism preached from the pulpit. Absolutely. And I think that's super yep. dangerous for a lot of reasons. And you don't need to look any further than mm-hmm. Nazi Germany and uh, Christian clergy standing uh, in hey, front of Christian flags and Nazi flags to see why that is the case. Um, Absolutely. I mean, and I, I, I'll to flip yeah. it back to the show. As far as I'm concerned, the uh, I can't think of his name right now, but the original leader of Jericho, yeah. he's Hitler, man. Yeah. Like they mm. set him up. He is. Yeah. He's definitely a Hitler character. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm one of these people who always walks away from calling anyone Hitler. Yeah. But they've set him up as that. So I think you calling that out and pointing to it is is very much the intent of the show. Yeah, I think you're right. So so I think that's one. I think that's one problem that church has. I think oh. the other problem is that the church. Church wants to be countercultural, but in ways that are completely irrelevant. Like uh, it wants to be <laughs> so fair, uh, right? Because like the church wants to be countercultural yeah. and like making sure people don't sing Christmas hymns during December. Uh, but that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't make any difference, right? To make sure we're no. observing Advent, mm. what we need to be countercultural about is exactly what you were talking about: is uh, standing up against the principalities and the powers, standing up uh, again. Because I mean, it's not just this this pilgrim guy in the show that is right. kind of like yeah. a modern day dictator, right? It's uh, I, I mean, we've <laughs> right. seen we've seen that. In yeah. our country's history. And what yeah. the church needs to be countercultural about is naming those elements of like fascism that we've seen in our country, right. the, the, those, that mm-hmm. racism, that homophobia, that transphobia. We need to be more conscious about naming all of those things. So I think you're right that uh, yeah. the church needs to be countercultural, but we also need to be countercultural in the same way that Jesus was countercultural. Like against, Absolutely. against principalities and the powers and against the religious establishment. Yeah, and I'll take it even a step yeah. further. I completely agree with you, and I think you will agree with what I'm about to say, yeah. is that part of the way we do that is to stop worrying about our power. Mm. That's the problem, is the, the Christian church has become a very powerful institution, mm. and a lot of the decisions are made so that we can maintain that power and not be knocked out of it. Whereas the person that we whose uh, teachings we were founded on literally let go of all power, was mm. literally a homeless person walking around free of any of the need to protect power. And I think one of the best things that can happen to the church is what's happening now is it's dying Mm. and it's losing power. And that's a place where we'll allow probably a much smaller core of people, but a group of people to finally be able to stop worrying about maintaining power and start deciding that what we have to do is make the world a better place by confronting power. Yeah. Agreed. I do. You're right. Oh, I agree with you. We could, 100%. We could, we could go. I had no doubt you would. I had no doubt you were. But we could go on and on. But I, right mm-hmm. now, I think uh, we've gone long enough with these discussions. So we need to, to take a quick little break because I am very anxious to get to our next segment, one of our favorite segments, probably our favorite segment, called Make Me Look Stupid, where we uh, do our very best to, well, make our co look stupid. <laughs>
Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are moving into our final segment, the Make Me Look Stupid segment, where we do try to make our co-hosts look stupid. So I get to ask the first question. Uh, Let's see if I can succeed. Um, Mark, all right, here we go. Here's here's what I want to know. Uh, there are so many questions I could ask you, but uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about today that we didn't really get to was I wanted to know about... Uh, uh, about Wednesday's relationship with her mother. So uh, Wednesday has a very difficult relationship with her mother in this. And uh, Mark, I would love for you to tell me what that's all about. And uh, if you could talk about family systems theory while you're doing that, I would just love it. <laughs> Can you tell me what what Wednesday's difficulty with her mother is all about and why it's uh, front and center in the show? Oh, Mark, I lost your uh, I lost your microphone again. So uh, while Mark is is getting this up, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to today is uh, just recognizing that uh, one of the other great things about Jenna Ortega and the casting here is I think this is the first time that we've had a Wednesday Adams who is actually played by a Latina. And I think recognizing yeah, the cultural absolutely. aspect of that is uh is 100% uh, on par with the great casting. So I can hear you. Absolutely. Mark, and so I'll wait yeah. and, and it was, wasn't just Wednesday, but also Gomez was also a Latin actor and they finally started getting that right. I appreciate it. So they, for the answer to you, to your question. Um, yep. So well, you said main theme, and I do think it's a theme, but I kind of felt like it was a sub theme, but it, it was through several relationships and, and, it feels like he was investigating, Tim Robbins was investigating generational trauma because we have these parents who are trying to push their agendas onto their children and even form their children into their own mold and, and have a younger version of themselves. We see that happen all the time in, in families. You've got uh, Wednesday and her mother, Enid and her mother, who was just desperate for her to actually wolf mm. out. And even... Even uh, the the normal, the the uh, Tyler and his dad, and his dad, who's this absent father, who also not isn't just absent, but is always picking on his son about needing to go to therapy and all of this. So I just felt I felt like this was Tim Robbins. Uh, and I don't know his story, but at least is aware of generational trauma and was trying to play that out and help us all understand the way. That, that that can unintentionally be pushed on a child and the damage that it can, can cause a child. And we watched a few healthy uh, responses to it because in, in each of these cases, the kids don't really accept it. The, in their own ways, they kind of push back against it. And even in, in Wednesday's case, I think call it out a little bit. Um, what, what will you see? Well, first of all, I've got to say, uh, not only did you answer my question, Mark, but you expanded yeah. it and talked about multiple characters, and, <laughs> and you used family systems theory to to talk about every single one of those. So I must applaud your efforts <laughs> in doing that. Um, and I don't even think that the microphone dying was an effort to buy time or anything like that. So yeah, you, I, I also think you're wise to bring out Tim Tim Burton and his uh, yeah. and. And the way he did this, because one of the interesting things about Tim Burton, I think, is that he's on the autistic spectrum. And so mm -hmm. there has there's always kind of this uh, 
this pressure, I think, to conform. And yeah. Tim Burton has never conformed to anything. You know, he got his no. start at as an animator at Disney. And mm-hmm. like, if you think about Tim Burton and Disney, that has to be like the worst place for him to be. And, <laughs> right. and that was what like, a nightmare. <laughs> had to be a nightmare for him it had to be a nightmare right and for disney too even though they ultimately ended up owning like nightmare before at the same time doesn't it make you think of winston and enid just standing there together in their in their room that's a a great disney disney's enid and tim burton is wednesday and there they stand together like that's completely so there's so there's always a pressure for Tim Burton to conform, and he never has. And his right. career, I think, has has shown that he's been successful, and that there's something about being countercultural. So I, I love your answer, Mark. What question do you have for me? What are you going to use well, to make me look stupid yeah, today? I have I have two questions, and honestly, uh, the one of course I really, you do. Well, two I'm not going to ask both of them. I, I was oh, prepared okay. this time because the last show that we had, the final show of the final season, you still my question early in the show. And so now I'm coming prepared. I'm always <laughs> That's right. I forgot about now, that. For now, on, I will always have a backup. I am not going to risk this. But honestly, my first question I think is interesting enough. But I'm not. I, I, I'm much more interested in your answer to the second question, Frank. So I'm going to ask my second question. Okay. All right. Who will be the new principal of Nevermore? The, the principal's dead. They have to have someone. Who is it going to be? I mean, I was going. I thought about asking about who Wednesday Stalker is, which is interesting because that's kind of the season cliffhanger they leave us with. And there's some discussion to be made there, not a lot actually. But I'm very interested to see who you think will be the new principal of Nevermore. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. The the part about the stalker I had kind of an issue with because who has that cell phone number? You know, that was one of the, the things that uh, that kind of irked me at the end of this. That's what, well, it's got to be a student because of the yeah. pictures that were sent were all on campus and up close. Yeah. I, I mean, it almost makes it feel like it has to be Xavier, right? The guy that has a crush on her too, like. It, but he's isn't that only, just a, he's the he's the only guy who should have had that number, have, right? And it's such a stereotypical trope of well, listen, when it all started out, I was against you, but over time, I fell in love with you. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, yeah. but that's why I didn't want to ask that question. Okay. I wanted to ask this other one: <laughs> Who will be the new I, principal? I, I feel I like you just deflected there. <laughs> <laughs> I bought myself some time, didn't I? <laughs> um, I think it's going to be Morticia. I think we, I yeah? think we're going to see right. more Catherine Zeta Jones. I think she's going to come back. She was roommates with Weems. I think, I, yeah. I think she's going to come back. Catherine Zeta Jones is another one who's kind of seeing a career resurgence at the yeah, moment. Absolutely. Uh, whether absolutely. it's a good career resurgence or not, I, I don't. I think it's still yet to be <laughs> determined. Uh, but I think, she, I think she kind of is, and. Uh, I, I think she's a good Morticia. I think she's going to come back. What's your take on it, Mark? Who do you think it's going to be? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to pick a character we only saw briefly. Mm-hmm. I think, what was her name? Bianca's mother, Gabrielle. Mm-hmm. I think there's a real, so Bianca escaped her mom and the cult uh-huh. that her mom was leading called Morning Song. And mm-hmm. her mom's trying to pull her back in. She doesn't want to do it. The school's sort of her safe space. I just feel like that would be a very interesting move to make. We we've got this character. I think it's too obvious to bring in Morticia. So I, you bring that character in. All of a sudden, Bianca is trapped again. 
I can even see her mom bringing in morning song as a as a you know a, an extracurricular activity and trying to get other kids. Mm. And I can mm. see, I can see Wednesday recognizing the issues with it and trying to you know even though she she hates everybody, trying to save everybody at the same time. So it's kind of a shot in the dark, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if it ends up being Gab- Gabriel. Gabriel. So the, the new principal is also going to be the villain in season two. I can't wait to watch it and see if you're <laughs> right, because we do get a season two. And I, I am so excited about that. And I know the, uh, you know, the people who have watched over a billion hours of Wednesday, of Wednesday. <laughs> it's on amazing. A billion hours. Wow. A billion hours. I can't even fathom. Mm. So, oh, Mark, this has been so much fun. I'm so glad that we are doing this for a second season. Thanks, man, for hanging out and, you know, theology and pop culture with me. I love it. I do, too, man. So uh, this has been a lot of fun. But what are we going to do next week? Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. There's this new movie out in the theaters, and it's not usually our thing. You know, we usually stick pretty close to sci-fi fantasy stuff. And this is kind of related to that, but it's also kind of horror. But I guess Wednesday kind of was a little bit. Yeah, fair Um, enough. It was. Okay, there's this movie in the theater. It's called Megan, and it's getting pretty positive reviews. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? You want to talk about that next week? I mean, a horror movie that's getting positive reviews. That's yeah, that's we're, we're doing it because right? you don't yeah. see that a lot. Yeah, and and honestly, I've seen a, I've, I think I've, yeah, I have, I've seen a trailer for it. And frankly, it's a little creepy, man. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get creeped out a little bit. Let's watch All this right. kind of sci-fi horror show, and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about that next time on the Moonshine Jesus Show. Moonshine Jesus. Nobody. Shine.